thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And today, I'm going to step out into some treacherous waters of eschatology. Now, you may think, well, what happened to this series on the Western legal tradition? And eschatology has everything to do with the Western legal tradition and why that tradition no longer exists as it was understood to be and as it grew over a period of about 700 years from the 1100s to the 1800s. Now, I want us to put this concept that I talked about last week, tradition, the Western legal tradition, and the distinction between traditionalism and tradition. One is a living faith about the past that looks to the future, and one is a dead faith about the things of the past. The well, we've always done it that way, that's why we do it. And I want to take a clip from last week, and then I want to build on it today and tie it into some things that I actually said in the previous podcast series about escaping futility. So, let's listen to this clip from last week. Tradition, on the other hand, is the living faith of the dead. It's the idea that we are developing something, we are, we are maturing something, we're going somewhere with this. Take this now and go further with it. Go further than we did. Correct our mistakes. Make things better in the law. Make the law more just. Make the law more righteous. You see, that's a living faith that is continuing to be worked out. Most people today like the dissenters in the Dobbs case and in the Second Amendment case of Bruin, see tradition as a dead thing. We're just doing it because that's what they did before. That's because those lawyers have bought the worldview that history is meaningless because they've adopted an evolutionary view of the world that is just moving somewhere purposelessly without meaning. There isn't any continuity of truth, organic development. It is, as I said a couple of weeks ago, quoting Mark Twain, just one damn thing after the next. And let's just move on to the next thing. So the Western legal tradition believed in this development of law, that history, society, institutions were moving in a certain direction they were governed by law, and the law would then organically develop and grow along with the changes in society that were taking place. Okay, that's the Western legal tradition concept. Now, I'm going to refer to a book by Harold Berman. Now, I mentioned him a week or two ago, his volume two of Law and Revolution, but this is from volume 
1, and he makes this statement. Now, this is from 1983. So this is what, you know, going on 40 years later. This is what he's saying 40 years ago. The Western legal tradition, like Western civilization as a whole, you remember I mentioned that last week, college students saying, hey, hey, hi-ho, Western Civ has got to go. Well, he's saying the Western legal tradition, like Western civilization as a whole, is undergoing in the 20th century a crisis greater than it has ever known before is not something that can be proved scientifically. It is something that is known ultimately by intuition. But I can only testify, so to speak, that I sense we are in the midst of an unprecedented crisis of legal values and of legal thought in which our entire legal tradition is being challenged. Not only the so-called liberal concepts of the past few hundred years, but the very structure of Western legality, which dates from the 11th and 12th centuries. Now you may recall that last week I said the foundations of the Western legal tradition no longer exist. The sooner we recognize that, the better off we will be. Now, this has been coming for some period of time, and I want to put this into context. So for context, Berman says in this book, Law and Revolution, which is effectively volume one, an important element of each of the great revolutions of Western history was its apocalyptic vision of the future. Now, let me kind of explain what he's talking about, the great revolutions. He's talking about the investiture struggle wherein the Pope broke from under the rulers and said, we're going to determine and appoint our bishops. So there was a separation initiated by the church between church and state. So when people say Christians are against the separation of church and state, they obviously don't know their history and don't understand that what was being discussed was the ecclesiastical establishment of the Catholic hierarchy, I guess you could say, ecclesiastical institution versus that of the rulers, the secular rulers. Then there was the German Revolution, which is also referred to oftentimes as the beginning of the Reformation with Martin Luther in 1517. But it wasn't just a spiritual uh, reformation or revolution. Because of the spiritual revolution and the return to Augustine and the concept of human depravity, as it came to be called within the Reformed tradition, there were changes in the legal structure. And what happened there is that Luther broke the church out from having any legal governmental authority relative to secular matters and put all of that under the princes of Germany. So let me just kind of work this out again real quickly. What, what happened with the investiture struggle was that the church said, we're going to break ourselves off from the rulers, the princes, appointing our bishops, and so on and so forth. And so there came to be known what was called the Two Swords Doctrine, that the church uh, carried on a governmental role that related to matters pertaining to the family and to the care of the poor and education and those kinds of things. And canon law developed 
to regulate those things. Uh, then the other sword was held by the princes, and they worked in what we will call now, let's say, secular areas. What Luther did is he said, no, no, we're going to divide things up in a different way, not between the church as a governing legal institution and the prince is also a governing legal institution, but the church is a spiritual body, a kingdom of God, and the ruler is a ruling kingdom, and it's separate that way. So I hope you can kind of see the shift that took place between the princes and the church both having a legal sort of system with the investiture struggle to the Reformation, which said, no, the church is a spiritual entity, it's about the kingdom of God, and essentially what happened was the canon law concepts were moved over to the princes, and they took care of all law at that point, including those areas that dealt with marriage and poor relief and education. So you see how that split, so it became went from sort of a two-swords view to a two-kingdom view. So that's what he's talking about here, of the great revolutions, but they had an apocalyptic vision of the future. Now, what's he speaking of here? Berman describes it this way. In the case of the Roman Catholic, the Lutheran, and the Puritan revolutions, now what's he referring to there? One, the Roman Catholic revolution was the investiture struggle. Lutheran, he referred to as the uh, German revolution. It was the beginning of the Reformation, and he mentions the Puritan revolution, which in other places in his book, he describes as essentially the English Revolution and the further development of common law in England that was the legal system we inherited that all was part of the Western legal tradition. So he said those revolutions, he said, the eschatology was expressed in biblical terms. He says this, the Christian revolutionaries foresaw a new heaven and a new earth. Remember that's talked about, I think it's in Isaiah making a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, we see that taking place throughout the New Testament. With the resurrection of Jesus, there was the establishment of a new heaven and earth where the old heaven and earth, subject to death and decay, was broken, okay? And he says, they envisioned the fulfillment of the prophecy of a thousand years of peace on earth between the second coming and the last judgment. And he quotes here, Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. For the former things are passed away. And he sat upon the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. Okay, so that's the eschatology, you could say, of the revolutions that took place beginning in 1050 and into the 1100s with the investiture struggle, the breaking apart of the Catholic Church from the princes, the Lutheran-German-slash-Revolution and the English-Puritan Revolution. So he goes on to talk about this idea of these revolutions and the progress, the development of law moving forward in eschatological terms. He describes it this way. Christianity added an important element to the Judaic conception of time, which was, of course, linear. But he says that new element added by Christianity was of transformation of the old into the new. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Behold, new creation. We add the words, you're a new creation. But he's, it actually says, 
new creation. There is new creation. We have been transferred from an old kingdom to a new kingdom in Christ Jesus. So it goes on to say, the Hebrew Bible became the Old Testament, its meaning transformed by its fulfillment in the New Testament. In the story of the resurrection, death was transformed into a new beginning. See, that's Jesus Christ. That's the first resurrection to which we're joined as Christians when we're joined to Christ. The times were not only accelerated, but regenerated. So things were now moving forward faster towards, towards an end because the Messiah had come, the central turning point of all of history, to which all of history prior to Christ was pointed, and, and from the end of which is pointing back to Christ, the central figure in history. He said, but they were being regenerated. This introduced a new structure of history in which there was a fundamental transformation of one age into another. See, that's the organic development concept of law that Berman was speaking about in Revolution Volume 2 that I talked about last week. Now, this is an important thing because here is a major distinction affecting eschatology as it's understood today. Berman continues. And let me just add here, what's interesting is Berman was a Jew but became a Christian. So, with that in mind, Berman says this, this transformation, it was believed, could only happen once. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ was thought to be the only major interruption in the course of linear time from the creation of the world until it ends altogether. So you see here there was no thought during this period of time from the beginning of the investiture struggle through the Puritan Revolution that there was going to be any kind of rapture and the church taken out and yet there would be a continuation. There was only one cataclysmic event and that event was the Incarnation. It was the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and His ascension to the right hand of God, which ushered in the beginning of the new creation and the kingdom of God, whereby we would be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So that was the, the belief, the eschatology that Christ has come and now the kingdom is going to spread. Now, we need to appreciate what took place, what motivated, you might say, this investiture struggle and this all of a sudden concern about the temporal world, this existence rather than the other world existence that, that had dominated the early patristic fathers. Well, a lot of people at the time thought the world would come to an end in the year, you know, 1000. That after a millennium, well, uh, Jesus has been reigning for a thousand years and the world's going to come to an end. Well, it didn't happen. And so what he, he mentions is that during this 11th and early 12th century, this regeneration, this new beginning in Christ was now seen for the first time as also applicable to secular society. The reformers put themselves at the beginning and end of a new secular time. They now began to see, oh wow, this new creation has begun and it's going to go to a certain point and we can see where it's going to go at the end. And so we're 
working backwards to build towards this period of time where the knowledge of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea and the glory of God and the protology and cosmology of Genesis 1 that I've created you Adam now tend the garden but also subdue the rest of Eden and the rest of the wilderness all for my glory turn it all into garden and multiply and fill the earth so that it can be turned into that see we've, we've, we've thought that God gave up on that and went to a plan B but God can never have a plan B because that would mean that that he had to come up with something else because something happened that he didn't anticipate or know was going to happen and so he now has to have an alternative God was working from the beginning knowing Christ would be the mediator he knew exactly what was going to happen and so all of the wrath of man is worked into the praise of God he uses the wicked for his purposes I mean, that's why he sits in the throne in Psalm chapter 2 and laughs. He says, look what they think they're doing. This is really kind of funny. I'm actually using them for my purposes. So show discernment, O kings. Well, I'm getting kind of off the point here. And I can see that I'm running out of time for today's episode. And I'm not going to get to what all I wanted. But I do want to close with an understanding of how this change in eschatology changed our legal tradition that lost the Western legal tradition. He says this, Rosenstock Hussey, those are, it's a historian, has shown how the belief in an, in an end time, the end of the world, has influenced the great revolutions of Western history. Now I'm going to fill in here for you that he not only mentions the investiture struggle, the German Revolution, the English Revolution, but he talks in his book of the American Revolution the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution. Six revolutions that have shaped the Western legal tradition. And he distinguishes the American, French, and Russian revolutions from the earlier three for a very important reason that I'm going to get to here. He said, each of those revolutions translated the experience of death and regeneration into a different concept of the nation and of the church. So there were there was a change here in our understanding of key players. When Christian eschatology, he writes, was discarded by the Enlightenment. We don't believe in this God thing. We can suck this God right out of the middle of our understanding of everything because we no longer need him. And by liberal theology in the 18th and 19th centuries, a secular eschatology took its place. No people, Rosenstock Pussy writes, can live without faith in the ultimate victory of something. So while theology slept, the laity betook itself to other sources of last things. End quote. Berman adds to the eschatology of Karl Marx on the one hand and of Friedrich Nietzsche on the other. Thus it is that Berman makes this statement and with this I'll then wrap up. Puritanism in England and America, which that was, of course, the 1600s and early 1700s, the Jonathan Edwards era, that really began to come to a close with the war for independence, and pietism, its counterpart on the European continent, were the last great movements within the institutional church 
to influence the development of Western law in any fundamental sense. Let me read that again without me interrupting myself, but Puritanism in England and America and Pietism, its counterpart on the European continent, were the last great movements within the institutional church to influence the development of Western law in any fundamental sense. And so I close now by doing what I said I would do, tying it into the way I launched this series on escaping futility. The statement by Abraham Kuyper in 1898 to the students at Princeton Seminary. Protestantism alone wanders about in the wilderness without aim or direction, moving hither and thither without making any progress. And of course, it can't because it doesn't know where it's going. And we're going to come back to that next week in figuring out where we're going and, interestingly, how the future determines the past, the complete opposite of evolutionary thinking. And I'll hope you'll join me next week for the next episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.